1 Corinthians 15, 7. And this is what it says. Then he appeared to James. That's it. And that's me. I'm James. Um, I was the leader of the church in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. I know I only look like I'm 100, but the... um, (laughs) But I'm getting ahead of my story. I was Jesus' stepbrother. I was the first son of Joseph and Mary after Jesus was born just of Mary. You never heard about me? Well, that doesn't surprise me because it was always just about Jesus. You would have gotten tired of it after a while too. Jesus this, Jesus that. It was always about Jesus. It was never about me. I, I can remember millions of times, it, it probably wasn't that many, when mom and dad, that was Mary and Joseph to you, mom and dad would recount story after story about Jesus as we were growing up. You know, maybe one story would be where they were retelling the story when the angel appeared to my mother and then the angel appeared to my father telling them of the supernatural birth of Jesus. Or maybe it was the night in Bethlehem they would be remembering when they were hanging out in the barn because they were rejected by everyone in Bethlehem. There was no room for them in any home, in any motel and and they were feeling forsaken by God also wondering, was this all true? And then out of the blue, some shepherds showed up telling them that an angel had appeared to them, telling them to come to that barn and worship the one who was the promised Messiah. Well, they certainly didn't have any stories to tell about me that way. Or maybe it was another story when they were, when Jesus was only eight days old and they brought him to the temple to circumcise him and dedicate him to the Lord. And and they remembered Zechariah, the old man, and then the old prophetess, Anna, taking Jesus in in their arms and just saying, this is the one that the salvation of the world has been waiting for. Well, when my parents took me to the temple to circumcise me, nobody even knew I was there. Maybe you remember the time, if you read your Bible, Um, when Jesus was about two years old, and I was about one year old at that time, although you'll never find me in in the story, Um, Jesus was about two years old, and some astronomers arrived from Persia saying that they had followed a star leading them all the way from Persia to Nazareth, uh, sorry, to Bethlehem, where my family was living saying that the star led them to a promised king and that they had brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh to offer to this promised king. Well, as you know, if you've read the story, I'm not mentioned anywhere in the story. It's all about Jesus. Or maybe, if you remember when Jesus was 12 years old and our family took a trip to Jerusalem like we did every year to celebrate one of the feasts, And we were there for a while, and then we headed home. And it was like after a day where I kind of went up to my parents and said, do you remember uh, 
where Jesus is? I wanted to play some soccer with him, and I can't find him anywhere. My parents started looking. They got all worried and nervous, and we had to go all the way back to Jerusalem. And it was actually me that found Jesus in the temple. And I thought, man, all these people surrounded him. They must have been playing marbles or something in the temple. But, but then I looked, and, and he was, like, teaching the religious leaders that were there. And I went and got my parents, and my mom rushes in, and she's all nervous. Uh, I don't think she even forgot to tell me thank you for finding him. But anyway, you know, she was all nervous and she runs up to Jesus and says, what have you done? And he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And I'm like, okay. Um, Well, that's the way it was growing up with Jesus as my big brother. James, why can't you be like Jesus? James, Jesus doesn't act that way. It was always James. Uh, As I see it now, I got really jealous of Jesus. And and if I went to a counselor, they probably would have told me I suffered from either low self-esteem or some kind of identity crisis. But really, I was just jealous. Um... But come on. I mean, he was such a goody two-shoes. I mean, he always obeyed. He always obeyed. You know, it's not like my parents meant to favor him. He, he was just different. I mean, he was way different. And it's not like Jesus carried himself, you know, like a prima donna, He was actually humble and thoughtful and considerate and selfless and helpful and caring, and he was really a lot of fun. He was a great brother. He was always there for me. But it just got to me. All of this, Jesus this, Jesus that, it was always about Jesus. And I would be thinking, well, What about me? Okay, I'll admit I was mad at my parents and and I just became began to get mad at God and bitter and feeling sorry for myself. You know, don't be pious listening to me, because you would have been the same if you grew up with Jesus as your older brother. You know, I thought, why couldn't I just have a normal brother? You know, someone that I could fight with, that I could argue with, smoke cigarettes with, um, talk about girls in our bedroom at night when our parents thought we were reading the Torah. Um, So as we grew older, little by little, I I began to hate Jesus. And I I don't like to admit it now, but it's the truth. And so I and my friends, we would tease him and we would pick on him. We'd make fun of him. And what made it worse was all the more we did that, um, the more we were angry at him, it's like he would never fight back. He wouldn't be mean back. He wouldn't even defend himself. But you know, the weird thing is, even at the same time, he wouldn't tattle on us. 
He wouldn't squeal on us. He, he never felt sorry for himself, but he would always genuinely forgive us and care about us. It was incredible. But anyway, as we became adults, as Jesus and I grew up together, um, and he began to sense what he thought he was called to be, I began to increasingly treat him as an adult in the same way, in a negative way. And because of the because of my struggle with growing up and my jealousy and anger and bitterness, I began to see him as a fraud. As a fruitcake, you might say. I mean, come on. He was my brother. He was from Nazareth, just like me. There wasn't anything special about him. He's just another boy from the other side of the tracks. But somehow, something had gotten in his head that he was something special, that he was the Messiah. I mean, come on. <laughs> you see what I mean? How do you live with that? Yeah, this is my brother, Jesus. He's the Messiah. Have you met him? Kind of weird. Um, so, as adults, as he began to carry out what he said was his calling as the Messiah, when I saw his miracles, I saw the work of a con artist. When I saw these people flocking about him and following him, I saw a bunch of blind idiots, fools. And, and, and the claims that he made about himself, I and the Father are one. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am. Come on. I mean, in my mind, he's somebody that had just gone a little, woo, you know, a little kooky, kind of gone over the edge. If, if you were to put it into one word, I'd just say unbelief. I, I was an unbeliever. I did not believe that he was who he said he was. I did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And as a result, I mocked him. I made fun of him. I spoke against him. And I made sure that everybody knew, you know, kind of like you say, you know, I'm with the band. I was like, I'm not with him. Um, I was ashamed of him. I wish we weren't brothers. Now, I know it doesn't sound very spiritual for a Jewish guy, but um, but you got to know that it was kind of, it was the result of years of feeling second fiddle, of being less than he was, of feelings of hurt and pain and rejection, always feeling like I wasn't even there that I didn't matter. And so I convinced myself that he was a fake, he was a fraud, because of my own personal anger and pain. You know, I, I bet in some ways I'm not much different than you people here this morning. So what, what changed? What happened? Well, this is really the part I love to talk about. Um, it's the part where I really got to know my brother. So what happened? He died. He died. You know, I think you know what I'm talking about if you've 
if you have a brother or sister. Um, you know, I was, I was mad at him, just like her. And I, I could beat on him and I could make fun of him, but he was my brother. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I could beat on him and I could make fun of him, and, but don't you do it. <laughs> He's my brother. And man, his death was brutal. The false accusations, the sheer meanness of it, the ruthless beatings, releasing a murderer in order to put him to death, it started to make something stir inside of me. It just wasn't right. I mean, you know, he might have been crazy, but he wasn't deserving of the vicious treatment that he received at the hands of the jealous religious leaders. And you know, as I saw their jealousy that drove them to put him to death, it's like I saw myself in them, and it made me mad. They were killing him because they were jealous of him. And it opened my eyes to my own jealousy that for years had been breeding and feeding my own disbelief. You know, it opened my eyes to a lot of things as I watched him on the cross. How alone he looked hanging on that cross and how alone he must have felt growing up with me as his brother. He was always there for me. I, I was never there for him. And yet, and yet, despite that, how clearly he was not alone as he was hanging on that cross, as his words expressed a, a profound intimacy and, and relationship with God. And then the things that he said as he was hanging on the cross, dying, Father, forgive them. And I knew that that was meant for me as much as it was meant for anyone else, and it shamed me. And then he said, Mother, here is your son, and, and son, here is your mother. Words spoken to my mom by her oldest son as he was dying. Words passing on the responsibility of, of the one who would take care of our mother but this is the part that hit me in the gut. Words that weren't spoken to me as the next oldest son, but spoken to one of his followers, John. Wow. The realization of, of my self-absorbed jealousy and the impact it had on everyone around me, my mother and everyone, keeping me from being the son that my mother needed at her hour of deepest grief and pain because of the grief and pain that I was holding on to. But it really didn't matter at that point. Uh, there, was, there was nothing I, I could do. He, he was dead. And, and in the middle of it, as he was dying, it was, it was like all creation was tormented about it. The sky turning pitch black at noon, from noon to three, and, and then the earth quaking 
like it was going to rip apart. And I, I saw the way my brother died. I saw them take his limp body down from the cross. I saw them seal him away in a tomb with a Roman seal and a Roman guard. I mean, you would have thought that they were guarding the Caesar because of the, the number of guards that they had guarding that tomb to, to prevent the supposed rumor that he was going to rise from the dead. So I saw him die. I saw them take down the body. I saw him sealed away in that tomb. And it was like for the first time I saw, I really saw beyond my jealousy and my hurt and my pain and saw that maybe, just maybe, he could have been who he claimed to be. A little late, right? (laughs) A little late, you would say. It was all over. And yet at that moment, for the first time, I, I wished it wasn't over. I wished that I had been nicer and kinder and more of a brother to Jesus. But it was over. He was dead. You know, I can't, I can't describe for you the sense of loss and hopelessness I felt at that moment. The brother that I'd had but never really known because I'd allowed my jealousy and hurt and pain to create in me an unbelief that kept me from knowing him. I hope that's not you this morning. Well, you are probably wondering what happened. Well, that's the rest of the story. And I'll tell you that next Easter. No, I was just kidding. Um, (laughs) It's simple. It's simple. He appeared to me. He appeared to me. You heard. He appeared to me. You know, I was so blown away and devastated by his death that I hid myself away. I had to be by myself. Sort things out in my head, try to figure out how I could go on now with the realization of what might have been but was now all lost. Lost. That's how I felt. And then he appeared to me. I was by myself, and then he was there with me. He appeared to me. I mean, his mean, mocking, deserving to be damned little brother. (coughs) Me. He appeared to me. Well, that's exactly what it says, like I started with in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Then he appeared to me. Well, you know, that's not exactly what it said. It said he appeared to James, but that's me. That's what my buddy Paul wrote about me in 1 Corinthians, describing Jesus after he rose from the dead. Now, you're probably thinking that I've got a little, I went a little crazy too, huh? 
you know, with my grief and my guilt. But let, let, me, let me tell you, I am his brother. And I, if anyone, would know the difference whether this being standing in front of me was some kind of ghost or some kind of phantom or angel or pretender or brother. It would be me. He was my brother. And I knew he was standing in front of me. In front of me. And immediately, two things hit me in the face, figuratively speaking. Two things. Number one, forgiveness. Forgiveness. I was forgiven. He appeared to me. And he embraced me, and the years of jealousy and hurt and pain and unbelief were washed away in his loving embrace. Forgiveness. And the second thing, reality. Reality. It was true. He was the Messiah. He had to be. I saw the way he lived as I spent years mocking him and making fun of him and teasing him. And and then I saw him die. I saw the way he died. And now I saw him standing in front of me alive. You know what went through my mind in that moment was my brother is my God. My brother is my God. You know, I'm wondering this morning if some of you might be able to identify with my story. Now, I'm not suggesting that you might be my long-lost brother or sister. Um, But I'm wondering if you might be able to identify with my feelings of hurt and pain and, and being offended that pushed you into unbelief or away from God or angry with God. Or if you've been a person who struggled with frauds or Christian goody-two-shoes people or, or convinced yourself that the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. That's what I thought about him. And the result is that, that maybe today your feelings of hurt and rejection alienation, anger, I mean, whether justified or, or the result of your own misperception like me has become anger and unbelief towards God. You know, maybe, maybe for you it was a family member or a friend that something bad happened to. Or maybe it was a Christian who hurt you. Or maybe you just didn't like them because they were good when you were struggling with being bad and it made you feel guilty or angry. Well, that was me. I was, the only way I can describe it, I was self-righteous in my unbelief. Self-righteous in my unbelief. And I almost missed out on my Savior. But then he appeared to me. And it all made sense. 
I want you to know that all the stuff that has happened to you or someone you love, the, the wrong, the injustice, the hypocrisy, the hurt, the pain that makes it impossible for you to believe in him, it isn't, it's not him. It's not him. It's why he came. It's why he lived a perfect life. It's why he died a horrible death. It's why he appeared to me so that I would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that my brother really was the promised Messiah, the hope that we've been waiting for ever since sin entered into the world, separating us from our God and wreaking havoc in our world that my brother really was that promised hope and that I was forgiven, that he forgave me, that my guilt and shame and anger and hurt were washed away in his loving embrace. Well, if you've listened to my story, maybe it's dawned on you that the God that you've been running from or the God that you've been blaming all these years is in fact your hope, your forgiveness, your peace, your life. Like I found that resurrection day 2,000 years ago. It changed my life. As I started, I'm, I'm now the leader of the church in Jerusalem, eager to tell others like you how he can change your life in the same way that he changed mine because because he is our hope and he offers forgiveness. Will you let him? In the same way that my dad, not, not as James, but as Dave, in the same way that my dad on an Easter Sunday three dec- four decades ago, no, five decades ago, <laughs> longer than that. <laughs> Not 2,000, no. In the same way that my dad trusted in Jesus on an Easter Sunday when he was a junior in high school in Michigan, and his life was changed, Will you let go your unbelief? What's offended you? What's turned you? Your anger, your mistrust in Jesus today? I guarantee you, he's the real thing. And he will forgive you and open up for you the opportunity for new life. Life in him, in relationship to him. He's the real thing. You know, if you'd like to make that decision this morning, I'm, I would love to talk and pray with any of you. Um, let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, you know, as I was spending time with you this morning, just reading again the, the story of the crucifixion and the story of the resurrection... Father, just how I was, I was kind of like amazed all over again of just the miraculousness of it. How amazing it is how you would become flesh and, 
and offer yourself to be humiliated and tortured and die for me and for my sins in order to offer me life in your son Jesus. And how then after three days of hopelessness and darkness, because of your great power, Jesus became alive. And so we can live in him. Oh, Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for your amazing love. Thank you for hope because of what we celebrate today. Jesus is alive. Amen.